1: Okay, at this time we're going to um, just go through some of the questions that have come in. And so the first one is from one of our very precocious eight-year-olds, part of our children's ministry. So I am going to ask and answer that question first so that she can, so mom can put her to bed, Uh, but I know she's watching. So the first question is, God said, and there's three of them, and I'll, we'll, we'll, he can go around and go back and forth. It says, God said in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth. My question is, are there two heavens, one for animals and one for people? It's a great question. Yeah. So um, when we look at this, uh, we look in the Hebrew, and we look in Genesis, there's a word, the word escapes me right now, for expanse or this kind of... this. Uh, period or this place um, where the birds fly, etc. And actually in the Greek, there's a parallel word. I think it's called Uranos. And when you look at whether the Old Testament or New Testament, there's three sort of levels um, of this word. And people translate it either sky, expanse, or heaven. So basically, when we look at the Old or New Testament, we see that there's really three levels. One is the place where there's atmosphere and air, where the birds fly, and actually scientifically from the base of the Earth to what's called the Kármán line is this this expanse, the first level, right? There's this this really kind of neat place where at the Kármán line it's called, it's a scientific term, that the atmosphere fades to nothing and you now have outer space. So you lose the oxygen and you lose a lot of the gases and so it's sort of like the next level of, of the Uranus or the expanse. And then the third level is, um, whether we're looking at Revelation 4 or what the Apostle Paul or John speaks about, is the heaven, capital H, or really the domain where where the Lord uh, resides. And we can debate, you know, uh, the scientists talk about other dimensions. The Lord is everywhere, right? He's omnipresent. But there's also a, I guess you could say, a throne room in Revelation four that John gets to see some really neat things in. So, um, Lily, oops, Lily. <laughs> okay, everybody knows Lily and loves Lily. But um, so yes, there is. Um, right now we're existing in the first, you could say, heaven, uh, small h, and you know you see the other planets in the in the second heaven. And then the third heaven is where God dwells, and uh, what we see is in the afterlife, He creates the new heavens and the new earth. everything is refreshed, made perfect, and uh, we'll be able to, I believe, according to the scripture, have contact with them. And that makes me happy, because I am an animal lover, uh, but there's actually a book written by Randy Alcorn called "Heaven." And it's a big book, and he addresses a lot of these questions about the afterlife and the new creation and the animals and such. So we do see that um, take place.
2: So I, I I think what Lily, what our questioner was asking, <laughs> not not I'm sure it's not a big deal, <laughs> uh, uh, was was the use of the heavens and the earth. That plural uh, word. So it was uh, when you when you read the scriptures, sometimes the little things you miss. But she was able to pick it out, and I think it's a great question. So when I when I look at <clears throat> when I look at uh, the Apostle Paul's account here in Second Corinthians, when he says um, in Second in Corinthians 12, he speaks about this this uh, this occurrence that happened to him, and he says. Um, speaking of himself, kind of in the third person, he says, I know a man, verse 2, in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, so he was kind of not quite sure if this was real or a physical or whatever, God knows, he says God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. So I think when he was given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to explain this Occurrence that happened to him. He wanted the readers to understand which heaven he was talking about. It wasn't like he was floating in the atmosphere, or where the birds fly, or where the airplanes fly, or, where the, or even in the where the planets are. It was something different. It was something beyond that. So when um, when the account speaks about you know the heavens and the earth, it's those different the different levels. Of what we call heavenly. I, I mean, we call we call the planets heavenly bodies, right? But it's not in God's throne. It's not in the realm of where God is. It's in a different level level of heaven.
3: Okay, and uh, the part with the animals in the second or the third heaven. The the verse that I really like is Revelation nineteen fourteen. It says, "And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen." white and clean, followed him on white horses. So if the horses are up there in heaven, all those other little critters are there too. So it's going to be a fun time. We're hoping and believing in that.
1: Okay, same, same person. Next question is, is there food in heaven? Great, this is good stuff. Um, you know, we talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb. We talk about the great banquet uh, Jesus speaks about it. He speaks about it in parables. Uh, we also see it in Revelation 19. So, uh, we actually somebody asked a question in similar lines like how it gets digested and if there's waste and all that kind of stuff, which we covered last Q and A. But uh, I believe that we'll be able to eat. Even Jesus said, I. Right, right before he was crucified, and he was partaking of communion, instituting it, he said, "I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I come again in my Father's kingdom." So, um, there's a lot of a lot of really neat things in Scripture when you read the whole Bible that kind of reinforces a lot of these uh, questions and answers.
3: I think you answered it all, Pastor Joe, and there's no calories in heaven either.
1: Third question is: are there toys in heaven? Well, I think when we think about toys, we think about something that keeps us occupied, something that um, challenges our minds at times. So will there be things in heaven that um, they're not necessarily toys? but they are things that keep us occupied. So the toys that people make here today for kids, et cetera, God has his own, I guess, playground for mm-hmm. redeemed believers. Uh, so call it what you want, but it'll be something that we're gonna enjoy. We're gonna enjoy the Lord's company uh, and, and that's pretty good stuff. You know,
2: the thing about these questions, they're great questions. But really, for the most part, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say definitively one way or another. There's nothing that I know in the scriptures that speaks about toys. Um, so I think about toys in the context of a distraction, um, something to kind of just occupy our time or to entertain us. So in that sense... I don't think we're going to need that. I know we're not going to need that when we're in God's presence. So we're not going to need a distraction. We're not going to desire a distraction. We want to be focused on Jesus, on worshiping the Lord. Uh, so in the sense of uh, that, it's going it's to be something to kind of take our mind off what we're doing, which is what, what toys are now you know, for adults or children. Um, I don't, we're not going to want that. We're not going to desire it. It's not going to be anything that we're going to need. Uh, we're going to be... All of our enjoyment is going to come from just being in God's presence. So I think I think in, in that context, I don't think we're going to see any D, G.I. Joes or Barbie dolls or anything like that up there.
3: The verse I, I think of when the question was read is uh, 1 Corinthians 2... 9 where it says, but as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So I think of toys and the enjoyment people get out of those toys, you know, and uh, the pleasure. So it's going to be so much more than that. Like we're limited when we just keep it around the thing of a toy or whatever. So um, it's going to be great, Lily. It's going to be awesome. Like you, Pastor Joe said, the playground. It's God's universe is the playground. And we'll see it in a totally different light.
1: So it's kind of neat. As you can tell, we hit this usually from three different angles. I spoke about something that challenges you. Pastor Paul spoke about distraction. And Pastor Vinny spoke about pleasure. Um, and we don't rehearse it. So it's kind of neat <laughs> that kind of hitting it from a lot of different angles. Um, okay. So the second person asking a question is, it says, The Bible is full of quotes of things that Jesus said. So we actually, not only do we see this in the Gospels, but we see this in, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians, when the Apostle Paul speaks about communion. Uh, So it says that, and it says, Is there any evidence or record of anything that Jesus wrote? Did Jesus write? Question mark. Now, I look at it like this is that, you know, the Gospels are a biography of Jesus. Um, actually, in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul does speak about Jesus and what he says to him on the road to Damascus when he, the blinding light, and he gets knocked off his, his animal. Um, so there are various references to Jesus. We see this also in Revelation. So you see. Um, Jesus didn't have time to go around taking notes. That's what his followers did. Uh, And we believe in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it was very orderly. So Jesus did all the things that he did. It came natural, he's God, the son, and his followers, you know, were following him and they would, you know, Matthew was a tax collector. So I'm sure he did a lot of, he was very good at sort of bookkeeping and keeping things in order. And it's no no surprise that he was pulled into the disciples. Uh, so Matthew is very orderly. Luke is a doctor. He put a bunch of things together. Um, so Jesus, God the Son, didn't, I don't believe he wrote anything except for when he wrote on the ground um, one or two occasions. But also uh, it was the Holy Spirit who uh, used these people to write things down to make an orderly account so that we could have the pleasure of, even though we weren't walking with Him uh, physically or literally, we can know pretty much from what we read what actually took place.
3: You know, Jesus is the, um, the Word of God, and the spoken Word, of course, was written down by people in the Scriptures. And as Pastor Joe said, when Jesus wrote in the sand, but also I think of in the Old Testament when God... With the Ten Commandments wrote on the tablets.
2: I mean, we don't have any record that I know of of anything that Jesus wrote, um, and I love the fact. I and I, I love that fact only because he God used men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to uh, record. As much as God wanted them to record, and everything is, everything we we need is in the sixty six books that have been recorded, so if you want to know who god is it 's in, in its entirety it 's in the scriptures um, it's, it, and after jesus was was uh, resurrected, he came back and he uh, met with many people, including his uh, the, uh, disciples and others and it says in John twenty-one, twenty-five, uh, speaking of all the things that Jesus did and there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written Amen so I suppose God could have had Jesus write down everything that he did but I think we, there would be no space in the world For people, because it would be just so amazing. I just think that um, the fact that God has used human beings, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to record all of these things, I think that we kind of take a part in that, you know, and it's pretty awesome.
1: Okay. So the next one is, and again, a different person, is a great question. It says, when reading the Bible, how do you know when it's okay to apply verses to ourselves or our situations and when it is only speaking to the culture of the time? I always hear context, context, but how do you tell or know? I love that. So when you look at, this is, this is a great question. Because you can see things happening on multiple levels, right? So in the Old Testament, God would speak to the Israelites. And He would speak to them in context of what they should be doing and why judgment would come, because of the things that they weren't doing when they were supposed to. Um, and you can... So you have context, but you also have general principles. So the same way that the Israelites brought judgment upon themselves, well, so did Sodom and Gomorrah, and so... Will America and Russia and China, if they um, go against God's precepts, he's not going to hold those people of antiquity accountable and let us slide. And I think we're starting to see a lot of bad things in our country and unraveling because largely are turning our back on God and his precepts. So excellent question. Um, I think where the danger comes in and some of these guys, a lot of Christian books are great. Some of them, mm, they're a little on the fringe. I think the danger is when somebody speaks about uh, an Old Testament prophet and then says, oh, that's America, be careful with that. That, <laughs> that Isaiah, and there was a book written about it, Isaiah 9 and 10, I believe. Uh, it's not America, it's the Israelites. However, you can take a general principle from the danger that the Israelites fell into and say America can fall into that. Sounds like semantics, but it's really not. Um, one last thing I'll say is that the Calvary Chapel way of uh, really studying the Bible is observation, interpretation, application. The first two are what does God say in his word? What's the interpretation? What is he saying? Be, you know, what's beyond the words? What is he literally speaking about? And it's good to get a hit historical context and application which is my favorite part is getting the congregation to say well this is what god's word says and this is how you leave on a sunday afternoon and apply it to your life the rest of the week until you hear another one of god's teachings so the application is very important context has to be in there but the application is the general principles that we pull out of the scripture whether he's speaking to the israelites or the egyptians or whoever how can we apply that to our lives as well?
2: Um, it reminds me of the verse in Acts 20 that says, um, For I have not shunned, the Apostle Paul says For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Mm-hmm. So why, does, why is the whole counsel of God, meaning, meaning Old Testament, New Testament, why is that so important? Because we can cherry-pick verses Mm -hmm. from any book we want and almost make it say anything we want. And that's what cults do, that's what false teachers do, and that's how they build a ministry. They build it on a verse taken out of context. So when you look at the Bible and allow the Bible to interpret itself, which is really the best way to understand what the Bible is saying, it won't contradict itself. So to understand what's meant for a particular culture at a particular time, as opposed to, like Pastor Joe said, a general principle of God's character. Well, God's gonna judge. Well, yes, there were a lot of records of his judgment in the, in the Old Testament on particular nations. Can we apply that to ourselves? Well. In a general principle, we can, because we look at the entirety of Scripture and we see that God will judge. We see that God is loving and fair and and gracious, but he also has to judge sin. So we we can look at the account of God's judgment of Israel and say, well, yes, God will judge us also. So we can take that and apply it to ourselves, knowing God's character throughout the entirety of Scripture. I think that's why... The whole counsel of God, verse by verse, pretext, uh, precept upon precept, line by line. That's the way to go through the scriptures. And that's why, you know, like Pastor Joe says, we, that's the way we teach here.
3: In Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, uh, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And just going along with what Pastor Paul just shared, most people don't know the whole counsel of God. You know, it's like they're smorgasbord Christians. You know, they go in there and pick what they like. But when you know the whole counsel, the whole word of God... Then you know the character of God, you know the heart of God, you know the mind of God. And remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's constant. Um, we're the ones that need to change to line up with the mind and heart and character of God. God doesn't, is never going to change f- that he fits into our uh, Mindset of God. So that's why it's so important to always read the word over and over and over again throughout your life.
1: Okay, another question is, um, so what happens when you die and you believe in Christ, Jesus Christ? Second um, Corinthians 5.8, love the scripture. Apostle Paul says, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So that debunks, and that's a, in the Greek, it's, there's a succession there, right? There's no gap, there's no soul sleep, there's no purgatory, none of that stuff. And these doctrines come in later. But Paul's very matter-of-fact, and he even speaks about, hey, if I'm, if I'm still here, if God keeps me here, it's great. I can minister to you, I can teach more. But if God takes me, I go to be right to be with the Lord and that's even better for me because <laughs> he did suffer on this side of eternity. Uh, so, Second Corinthians 5 8 is, is a truth there. Um...
3: We had a similar question down in Sunday school with the, um, mm-hmm. uh, the eight, nine, or seven, eight, and nine year olds. And I was just saying, I want everybody to watch me. And I just blinked. I just, I just, we were talking about life and death. And I I just blinked. And I said, now I want you to blink. And even though when I blinked, they had already blinked two or three times already. So I wanted them to concentrate on it. And I said, well, that's how it is when we pass as believers in Jesus from this earth realm to the heavenly realm. We won't know that darkness. There's no darkness. You know, there's no... We just go from... a place here to a, in Christ's presence, and there's nothing better than that. Um,
2: <clears throat> Jesus told the thief next to him on the cross, "Today, you will be with me in paradise." I don't see any reason to uh, question what Jesus uh, said and was recorded in the scriptures. So we know that the thief died, and he was in God's presence. Uh, the verse, the two verses before the verse that Pastor Joe quoted, the Apostle Paul kind of gives us the other side of it. He says, "So we are always confident, knowing that while we while we are at home in the body, physical, right, we are absent from the Lord. So, and then in verse eight, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body, and to be present with the Lord. So that's a kind of an immediate shift." Of position um, when we pass that we are now in the presence of God if we've chosen uh, Jesus to as our Savior if we if we've uh, made that commitment to him
1: okay this one so somebody asked me you always hear people say the power of prayer um, but isn't it the power of God and that's true you know as as a pastor I I show people grace when they say certain things because I know where their heart is. I know what they're saying, but maybe specifically it, it's actually not true. Um, the power is really in the object of that pow- that powerful prayer is God himself because you could pray. And that's actually another question coming up. You could pray to a relative who passed and there's no power in that prayer there's no power in prayer because you pray to God only, right? Jesus is the only mediator. So, yes, technically, uh, it's the power of God. Prayer is what you would call the vehicle, right, to petition God. <laughs> so we, we talk to God, and it is that, that sort of lifeline that, you know, the communication. And then he decides, if, he, if it, the answer is a yes, well, we, the, the vehicle that we use was prayer, and the, and the object of our faith is God, and then he answers that prayer. So yes, technically, it is the power of God. Uh,
2: in Matthew 23, Jesus is kind of ex- excoriating the religious leaders at, of the time. <clears throat> and he says, these are his wo- some of his woes. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. So I think about that verse in the context of this question and their prayers had no power. No matter how long they were, no matter how much they how many, much they were on their knees, their prayers didn't have power. Why? Because they were praying wrongly. They were praying with the wrong motives, the wrong intent. Um, and you know, so there was no power in those prayers. So, yes, it's not the prayer itself. It's certainly not the words we say or how eloquent we are, um, or how much Bibleese we speak when we pray. It's communication with God. It's the intent of our heart. It's the motives. Um, it's wanting to ultimately give Him all the glory for whatever answers we get, and that's that's the prayers that have power. Because it's done in the right way to the right to the right person uh, for the right for the right reasons to glorify him.
3: Sometimes when you go last the things that you were gonna say have already been said. Amen.
2: I don't think you're praying hard enough. <laughs> 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 I'm good.
1: Thank you for that tidbit. Um, so so all right, this is, I have to sort of truncate it or, because I, 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 we don't want to, um, the person who asked the question is not looking for it to be specific to one person, but uh, he does speak about a situation where uh, for, for Memorial Day, I believe it is, you can also think of you know, Veterans Day, Um, In some church gatherings, right, there's um, sometimes people will honor the fallen, and you know, we do that, right, because, you know, people died trying to give us the freedoms and such, and then there's certain um, ministers who are very antagonistic and sort of hostile towards anything that has to do with, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance, the National Anthem, even... The question about is even if there was a flag in church. So, I mean, we have an American flag in our church. It's been here, actually, since we took over the building. We just never removed it. Didn't see the, seen, see the need to remove it. I look at it like this. I say that there's a happy medium. So, you know, some Christians are very worldly and materialistic, and you would think that the American dream stands above the gospel because it's all about what they can get in this country and you know, feed their flesh, whatever they see that they want, they get. So they sort of put the things of maybe the country above the things of God. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there are others on the other extreme who are just hostile to any type of saying, hey, we live in a great country, you know, we can still vote, a lot of countries can't. Um, So I think both of those are an extreme. I think that the happy medium is to, you know, not to be, so, I can't think of the word hostile or antagonistic to the point and this person has spoken about this minister before and everything that she uh, does is that she's always alienating somebody whether it's veterans or a Bible uh, believing church or certain you know, old songs, hymns that she doesn't like the words to um, and it's just to me I, you have to look in the mirror and say you know, am I really exuding Christ here? Like, we try to meet people where they're at. If somebody comes in to the church, um, maybe they're not dressed appropriately. Maybe they uh, have odd belief systems. And what we try to do is build a bridge with that person and bring them to feel comfortable to worship here and to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Um, if we're going to nitpick at everything and just pick things apart, um, I think it, it, you just make you alienate yourself from the culture. How do we win the culture when we're not reaching the hand of love across the aisle? Not compromising what we believe believe at all, but just trying to bring that human connection. And the other thing that I suspect, and I don't think I'm reading into it, is that there's a certain element that is sort of this hate America first element. Everything about our country is bad. And sort of they bring that into, which I think is wrong, they bring that into their preaching and their style of ministering. And it's just a very antagonistic um, you know so there's there 's a lot behind the question, uh, but like, again I, I believe you know uh, I believe in representative government, I believe it, the, I think we should be able to vote for our elected officials. I think that should be everywhere, but at the same time there's things that people do in our government that are evil There's there 's good and bad, right, um, and we should put Christ first and try to be that salt and light to you know, as that antiseptic to the culture to try to bring it to a better place, revival. And revival can start at the bottom and and reach elected officials, amen? So, um, yeah, it's an excellent question, and I know there's a history behind it, um, and I don't want Pastor Vinny to get upset with me, so I'm going to let him go next. Can I see the question? (laughs) Oh, it's on my phone. What is the question again? (laughs) Do want him to go first? No, Uh, good. It's about, it's sort of like, where do we fit in with... uh, you know, with uh, saying good things about the country, about maybe standing for the Pledge of Allegiance, um, honoring the fallen, the veterans, and I took it. Yeah, that's another one, separation of churches.
3: So um, Joshua, in the book, talks about stones of remembrance, Mm -hmm. uh, memorials for it to... to always remember the things that God did, his mighty works that he did. And throughout history, I mean, you know, my brother's doing that trip to Gettysburg in another week and he goes on the battlefield and he tells the history of what took place in different sections of the battlefield. But then later in the day, he ties in the spiritual significance. And I think in every war that you ever had, regardless of what country you were, there were born again believers, men and women, who uh, loved Jesus, that were fighting other nations. So when you dig and you find things out, how these men and women uh, that God did mighty works in their lives in that battle or in that war. So yes, it can be a thing of contention by people, but that's really a lack of knowledge to how we got where we are today. You know, I look at the flag and I I think of... Uh, Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, the bloodshed, you know, and that there were men and women who tried to maintain the Judeo-Christian heritage that we have in this country. And people have the freedom to mock that, but those same people that mock it don't investigate what's the alternative. Is it a Soviet Russia? Is it a communist China? Is it Marxism? Like, none of that's ever worked, ever. Ever. The United States of America is the greatest success experiment in the history of the universe. And that's because it was founded on Judeo principle, uh, Judeo-Christian principles. And now what we see, I mean, we've been alive long enough, we see them removing those uh, memorials. We see them taking away God from our schools way back in the 60s. And how's that worked out? You just have to read the newspapers or the internet about what's going on in our schools today. When you take God out, there's going to be something else replacing God. So, yeah, it's uh, like Pastor Joe said, it's a bridge that we can not get angry with people, but try to build a bridge and uh, just show them how God's hand has been in history throughout history and that he's a personal, um, powerful God And he's always working wonders.
2: Um, Jesus says uh, in John 15, he's talking about abiding in him and bearing fruit and what true love looks like. He says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And I think about that as the question comes in about maybe honoring the fa- our fallen heroes, especially upcoming Memorial Day coming up. And I say that what they did was laying down their life for their friends, and they did it—they—they they did it for a greater purpose. You know, just as Jesus laid down his life willingly for a greater purpose. You know, I—I I think it's—I think it's worthy. To honor those, I think I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think as a church, we need to recognize uh, sacrifice. I mean, our uh, you know our belief system is based on the sacrifice of a man who didn't deserve to die, Um, and so I think I think to honor that, um, I think that's the right thing to do. Um, There are some I, I don't I can't call it a denomination or even a church, but. Some religious organizations that um, put, like, uh, saluting the flag or, or saying the Pledge of Allegiance, um, they equate that with worshiping false idols. And so, you know, we can go into, we could go to extremes on this stuff. Um, and we need to know, like Pastor Joe said, what's the heart of the person, you know, that we're, that we're talking about. But um, I think as a church, I don't think we I don't think uh, shy away from that. I don't think we
1: should. Um, so I'm going to just finish up this question because there was another element to it. And then I'm going to see if anyone, anybody has any follow-up based on any of the questions that were asked. So we try to do that. We're almost going to be out of time. So let me just say that part of the question was that the person's excuse, the minister's excuse was that there's a separation of church and state. And I, I can't tell you how many people, including those in the media, misquote this. First of all, this was a letter Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptists. It was 18, I remember this very well because I studied it, in 1801. And the Baptist concern was, are we going to be, you know, America was still being formed, right? It was, there was still growing pains. And the question was, they had, their fears were, are we going to turn into, like what's going on in Europe, where one religion controls the whole uh, country. And he basically told, talked to him about a, you know, a wall right of separation between church and state. It's funny, the people today look at it from the wrong angle, because of course they take everything out of context. It wasn't that we can't practice our faith as Christians. What Jefferson was saying is that there would not be a state church That would impose its will on everybody else, and that particular denomination's will. So what people do is they twist it and say, "Well, you know, there's a we. We as Christians shouldn't influence the culture. We shouldn't influence, uh, you know, elected officials. We should just stay in our lane." Well, that's not what Jesus calls us to do. So the excuse that some ministers use is, first of all, taking the letter out of context. And uh, certainly, they're not being faithful to what the gospel preaches either. Now, I don't believe in forcing our faith on anyone. If I had a position of power, I still wouldn't want to force my faith on anyone because a forcible convert is no convert at all. Somebody needs to do it by their own free will. So, if God gave people free will to accept Christ or not, I'm certainly not going to take away their free will. And I think sometimes that's the fear of secularists. Well, listen, cults do that stuff, but true Christians don't do that stuff. So, as long as we got that out of the way, is there anybody who has any follow-ups before we continue? Um, just want to give you a chance to ask any follow-up questions. You've got to talk loud because we can't hear from up here. Anybody? Correct. And the, the point was... Yep. For the live stream audiences, he spoke about when Jesus, you know, do, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, they were trying to trap him, but he said... You know, whose inscription is on it, it's, it's Caesar's. Give to Caesar, what is render to Caesar what's Caesar's, render to God what's God. So um, even Jesus was not looking to usher in a, mo- a political, military movement that would start to take over the, the globe. Uh, so that's very important. Again, the same free will that God gave us. We should not be taking it away from the secularists, the atheist. I want to convince the atheist that they need to get in touch with their creator. I don't want to force them to do it because then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm overstepping the grace that God gave me and the grace that he wants me to show to others. So good stuff. Okay, so the, um, the next one is, and we'll probably end it after this, is that the first and second commandments talk about no other gods and no idols. And the question is, why do some denominations pray to saints? And again, it's not people say, oh, that one denomination. No, it is several of them that do that. You know, they put maybe statues and people will bow down to the statue. And first of all, um, we don't have a, I don't think anybody took a um, a cell phone picture of what Jesus looked like. So um, I don't think we should be bowing down before any image. Um, We should in our quiet prayer time, you know, turn to the Lord and say, you know, tell him what our petitions are. We're talking about prayer. And then B is, does God turn a deaf ear to those prayers? Um, so we actually had a discussion about this in uh, the staff meeting on Monday. Uh, I would just say, and, and they're going to hit it from different angles, as a general principle, um, Jesus is the only mediator. So as a general principle, if, you're, if you have a general uh, behavior of bowing down and praying the statues or saints, that's a big mistake, you know, and if you're wondering why your prayers aren't being answered, is because God isn't going to have any other gods before him. If you're bowing before anybody, you know, your, your great grandmother who passed or whatever, um, you, only God can answer those prayers, and God doesn't need messengers up there to say, oh, uh, Father, you know, I don't know, you might have missed this one, but I heard it, here it is, can you answer this one? course i'm being facetious so i would say is i'll just answer it as a general principle it's not good practice to go against what god says especially in the ten commandments so i'll let you guys hit it from a different perspective
3: so i don't think there's anywhere in the uh, scriptures that there is a uh, building say like this it's there's a church that people went to there's the synagogues and then there were home churches um so, I just lost my train of thought here. Sure, let me have him go first. So, it wasn't until about, I think 300 AD that there was an organized building with, that, uh, um, that hosted a service, a church service. So up until that time, it was home groups, you know, or, um, and they met where they met in an outdoor s- setting. So then the Roman um, Constantine, he took the idol worship of Rome and combined it with Christianity and all the statues, you know. So it was a form of paganism and Christianity mixed together. And like Pastor Joe said, God's a jealous God. He doesn't want that. He wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. So Satan has done a great job watering down the uh, church that was started in the book of acts Mm -hmm. you know he he's trying to poison that and that's why it's so important for us to just stay on task with what god shows us to do in the scriptures
1: and uh pastor vinny has been going as many of you know he's been actually going through the book of acts it's been very enjoyable on wednesday night so uh i think you're like almost more than halfway through. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, just a couple of scripture references. Pastor Joe and and Vinny both mentioned it. And uh, in 1 Timothy, two five is where it says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So um, we see here in Paul's letter, giving instruction to the to young Timothy that that this is what you teach your uh, the the believers, that they go directly to God. There's no need to go to anyone else. There was a, there's a tendency, and there's I think a human. There's a human, there's a human tendency to want to have a physical <clears throat> thing, uh, something tangible, right, to either look at or to bow before or whatever. Um, and God is spirit. And I think that the fact that we, um, we it, it challenges our, our faith, it challenges our humanity, basic humanity, to pray to someone that we can't see or feel or touch or, or anything like that. So God didn't want any images. Um, and so uh, saints, we're not praying to, a, we're not when people pray to saints, it's usually dead saints, dead men, sinful men and women, just like you and I. Uh, Many of them very, very good people. I mean, very devout people, no question about it. Believers, many of them, um, no question about it, just based on historical accounts. I mean, not that they're bad people, but they're not God. And it's not the mediator between God and man. Uh, And so the... So, the, <clears throat> like Pastor Vinnie said, why go against what God says? The, in, in, that, in the first commandment, it says, You shall not bow down to any God, bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He says that several times. Actually, jealous God is said 24 different times in the, in the Scriptures. And so why is that? Because, not because he's a tyrant and he just wants all of our attention, it's because he knows what's best for us. Mm-hmm. And he knows how to answer our prayers. So why would we pray to anyone else? I mean, it's, not, it's a great question. Uh, does God turn a deaf ear to those prayers? Um, I think if we pray for a, a healing to a saint, uh, it's not, I think in God's grace, he can heal that person but it's God who did it. It's not the saint who did it.
3: I think we also talked um, in our staff meeting, like, you know, I, I know I was, my background as I was a Roman Catholic for 28 years, so, um, you know, people praying to the saints or praying uh, the rosary to the uh, Mary, God's mom, and like even in the scripture, Mary, when she was approached, um, and was asked a question, she just referred to Jesus, just said, just do whatever He says. You know, and that's so important because what we're just talking about now with the um, God healing, you can be a Hindu and pray to their thousands of gods for a healing of your baby, and it could be healed or it could die. You know, but that doesn't mean it was because you prayed to that idol. You know, that's, again, just not having that, um, their eyes are blind or they're being deceived. Their heart might be in the right place. And I just know, like I always tell people myself, I was sincerely seeking the Lord. And he, he eventually revealed himself to me and pointed me to the scriptures to see the difference between man-made religions and uh, Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. And that makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Once you know God and his word. So that's why we can, you know, you never want to get angry with people or, you know, oh, you're going to hell because you worship a thousand gods. You know, talk to them, listen to them, and then they'll be more um, open to listen to you and your beliefs. And then (laughs) it's the Holy Spirit, once you get to that point, it's just taken over and doing his work in their hearts.
1: Yeah, it was in John chapter 2. It says 5 2 5. Uh, his mother, Mary, said to the servants, whatever he, meaning Jesus, whatever he says to do, whatever he says to you, do it. <laughs> Mary didn't say, oh yeah, let me take your request. She said, whatever he says, just do it. And then the water was turned into wine. So, if you're looking to Mary, she's going to be pointing to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing, too, is, and again, it's a historical note. Not everybody likes history. History's history. It doesn't care about our feelings. It just is. But, you know, when the Romans had their temples and they had uh, the statues of Zeus and Apollo and Hermes, you know, when much of Rome was Christianized, they kept the statues and they just renamed the, mm-hmm. uh, the statues of Zeus, Apollo and Hermes, Jesus Peter and Paul. It's the same statue. They say, Well, we're Christians now, so let's let's pray to these guys now. Forget about, you know, we don't believe in Zeus anymore. So, you know, you, you, God is when he says don't bow down to any idol, he's he's not kidding around. You know, it's it's right in the, the top ten there, the top ten commandments. Um it's it's just it's not a good practice. And, and, you know, same thing, my background, it took me a while to come out of that Mm -hmm. and to say, well, what does the Bible say? And then you have to make a decision. It doesn't matter. Catholic church, Mm -hmm. Lutheran, Baptist, Calvary chapel, doesn't matter. What, What matters is God's word. Dave, you have your hand up.
0: Satan can. Right. I mean uh he obviously offered Jesus um option if he did think so because I often hear people who talk about I pray for this particular saint and then they receive something. And
1: I always want to remember or
2: remind them just uh you know that can be being answered by something else. Yeah,
1: there's um both uh Matthew and Luke both speak about Satan trying to tempt Jesus in the wilderness and he says, "I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just bow down to me." Jesus didn't say, "No, you don't have that authority." He didn't say that. He goes, "Worship the Lord your God and him alone." He he didn't tell Satan that he was wrong in offering that because Satan did have that because it was forfeited by mankind. And I say this, there's a nuance in a maturity of being a Christian is that you know, you could say, I want this, I want this, I want this, and time could go on and God could be, I'm not going to give it to you. We just talked about prayer on Sunday, right? The nuances of prayer. Because God doesn't want to, just like a child, right? If my four-year-old wants to play with the chainsaw, I'm going to wait until he's probably 18 because he'll take his fingers off, right? So God is not going to give us things that are going to hurt us, but the enemy listens too. He can hear and he can hear you're always pining away for this one thing. He might make it happen. So that's a great point in that I don't want to say Satan answers prayers too because you pray to God alone, but they can give you something to keep you away from God. They have the ability to do it. They wanted Jesus to circumvent the cross. And Jesus is like, I'm not doing it. We should follow what Jesus said. So you're on dangerous ground when you start to go outside of the realm and the safety of God. You know what I'm saying? That's a great point you bring up. Yeah, I was just
3: thinking like Satan always is trying to get a hook in somebody to distract them from the focus on Jesus. And just there might be some Roman Catholics uh, here or former Roman Catholics that are still working out things uh, from what you were taught when you were younger to what you're reading in the Scripture. And I know one of the things is uh, just the veneration of Mary and praying to her. And just in uh, Luke... One of the things that helped me was Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and 47, where Mary, it's called the Song of Mary, Mm -hmm. and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary needs a Savior. She wasn't perfect. She was this young teenage girl, just like, you know, you ladies were, and, you know, we were teenage boys, so she wasn't perfect. She needed a savior just like you and I. And she was just a person chosen by God.
1: And, and I have to just, just jump in again, mm-hmm. is that it's not just one denomination. Correct. And there are people in Calvary chapels who have weird belief systems yeah. that you say, well, do you, do you read the Bible? You know, you come to a Calvary chapel, it's a Bible-believing church, and you still believe these things. So I, I don't want to focus on one denomination. There's many of them. And in every solid church, there are people in that church who maybe have been coming for years, and they're just not—it's not—it's not getting through. Well, you have any, Pastor Paul? Yeah, yeah.
2: I just um, in First John four, one. It just it says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, mm-hmm. but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So you may receive from your prayers to someone other than God. You may receive that which you prayed for, but, but this is a warning that it may not be uh, the best thing for you. So sometimes we get what we pray for, but it's not what God would have wanted. And so uh, testing the spirits is an important thing. The discernment to know um, whether we're praying in His will or not you know,
1: is important. Okay, before we close, any other questions? Minor outbursts? Good stuff. Yeah, it's, a good, it's good stuff because, you know, I'm even looking at the handwriting. So many, different, so many different people are asking so many different questions, and there's some that say, you know, I, I went to a church for 10 years and they never really covered the subject. So, uh, you know, so we always want to try to do the Q&A. What does the Bible say, which is the most important thing? It isn't what we say. The guys up here. We're just his. We're just his messengers. But without this, right? He's got the phone. He's got the the laptop. I've got the old uh, hand. You know, the, the book version. Um, we we all ha- use the same playbook, right? So um,
3: yeah. Just uh, before we wrap up, I was just thinking too. Just in 1 Samuel 5, 4, where Dagon was the god that was worshiped by the people but they brought the ark of the Lord in there. And the next day the people came to worship Dagon and he, he was falling down. So then they put him up and the next day he came on and I think parts of his body were broken off. So the cool thing is that uh, people who are truly seeking the Lord, when the Lord, when Jesus' name is lifted up, our preconceived notions, our philosophies, our religions will all crumble as we're truly seeking the Lord, which is so great of our God. And then just going, uh, just a question, Pastor Joe, is uh, like Mary, you know, you think of Mary as a blessed mother and and how she's venerated throughout the world by many religions too, right, besides Catholicism. But when she said she needed a Savior, boy, if she needed a Savior, I think everybody that doesn't have a savior needs to really think about that. So if there's people here here or on the internet that are listening that want to know how they can make Jesus their savior, what could you tell them?
1: Yeah, so it's, uh, it's so cool because uh, Pastor Raoul Reese, uh, this is how he got saved. He was watching TV and some sort of similar what we're doing and he actually was going out to commit a crime and he was watching this sermon and hearing the Bible and he started to to weep and and uh the guy said on tv he said you know if you just say this prayer and you mean it it's really not your words but it's a reflection of your heart and he did and his life changed from there he didn't commit the crime by the way uh so basically if you're watching on the internet and uh we actually get a lot of good hits on audiences uh uh online but just say this, and again, every time I do this, my words are always different because it isn't the words. It's not a formula. It's a reflection of your heart. So if you're in your, you know, in your living room, in your bedroom, whatever, and you're watching it, or you're out on the street and you got it on your phone, just repeat after me and mean it. Just say, Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I know that you died on the cross for my sins I, want to, I believe and I want to receive of that sacrifice. I want to put my trust in you for my eternity. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I look forward to walking with you all the days of this life and into eternity. I repent of my self-directed ways. And from now on, I'm turning towards you. Just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you have, if you've said that, or, or you know somebody who has, let us know. Send us a line, contact at cccrossfields.org, or call the number five two one We'll give you a free Bible and some materials, and there's no strings attached. Go in peace, enjoy the Lord, and have a good night.
0: where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.